0: kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply welcome to the starfleet leadership academy leadership development told through the lens of star trek your host jeff aiken is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership he specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge star trek fan and now here's your host jeff aiken Welcome, thanks for joining me today. Captain Kirk asks a profound question about the very nature of humanity. And I'm gonna talk about what that means to you as a leader that is working to develop and grow the people you work with. We're also gonna see a side to Mr. Spock that up to this point, no viewer has ever seen before. All that here in the 25th episode of the first season of the original series, This Side of Paradise. The Enterprise comes to Omicron SETI-3. 150 Federation colonists came here about three years ago. Turns out the planet has been bombarded with Berthold rays, which are deadly to living beings. Kirk and crew are here to study and catalog the effects of the rays on the likely dead colony. Berthold rays are such a recent discovery. They're confident they're going to be safe for a short, limited time, about, about a week, to collect samples and observe the effects. But what they find when they beam down is wildly unexpected welcome to omicron's 3 all of the colonists are still alive and are the picture of health in fact past scars scar tissue impacts from prior health issues are all healed too perfect plants Food are growing miraculously, but all the livestock and the animals have died. So, I want to tell you why I'm a vegan. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are dumbfounded, but not nearly as much as when Spock comes face-to-face with his past. Mr. Spock and I have met before. Layla, the botanist of the colony in Spock, met on Earth about six years ago, where she fell in love with him. Spock as he was back then, still is very Vulcan about seeing her. The team disperses and starts pulling samples, researching the area, but Layla and Sandoval, Sandoval's the leader of the colony, they've got other plans. Would you like him to stay with us now? There is no choice, Elias. He will stay. Kirk checks in with Starfleet, and they order him to evacuate the colonists, but Sandoval refuses. He dodges any questions, but sticks to his point that they're safe everybody's healthy Layla finds and joins spock as he investigates he is trying to work but she is trying to reconnect with him it sounds like a really fun sci-fi rom-com right <laughs> well she agrees to show him how the colonists have survived and she leads him away they come upon a plant kind of a kind of a flower and spores. now you belong to all of us i love you Whoa, what is up with spock he's emotional cool what's the matter with me baby what's the matter with you and he kisses layla kirk kirk has his teams packing up the colony to beam their belongings to the enterprise he notices spock is missing and he calls him somewhere between you know just a few minutes ago and now even though they're in the same place spock has changed his clothes has his head laying in Layla's lap. Hmm, guess Vulcans don't need to wait for Ponfar. Well, after a while, Spock finally answers the call. Where are you? I don't believe I want to tell you. He totally ghosts Kirk, drops his communicator. Kirk is on the hunt. He finds him hanging from a tree branch, and he's laughing with Layla. You were told to report to me at once. I didn't want to, Jim. Spock says there will. Be no evacuation. But he does agree to head back to the colony. At the colony, more and more people are getting blasted with the spores. Kirk has avoided it. Everybody else is getting the chill vibes. Mr. Sulu understands, don't you, Mr. Sulu? Yes. I see that. The crew stops beaming equipment to the ship, and they start beaming up the flowers. It doesn't take long for everyone to get spored, even though some... Some fare a little better than the others. Sure enough. Hey, Jim, boy, y'all ever have a real cold Georgia style net julep, huh? Oof. Ah, uh, yeah. That is a that is a terrible accent on McCoy. <laughs> well, Uhura on the ship. Uhura short circuits all the communications, and everyone is beaming to the planet. They're gonna live there now. Despite his best efforts. Get back to your stations. Get back to your stations. I'm sorry, sir. We're all transporting down to join the colony. I said get back to your station. Oh, no, sir. This is mutiny, mister. Yes, sir. It is. After a while, Kirk is the last one on the ship. He keeps trying to learn about the spores. He wants to find out what's going on. He does learn that they actually thrive on Berthold rays. And that's how the people have done so well on the planet. It's kind of cool that the affected people, like they're not violent at all, you know? They just... They just want to kick back. They want to live in paradise. Well, Kirk heads back to the Enterprise. Alone. He's the only one there. And then BAM. <laughs> Kirk gets spored too. He heads to his quarters to pack. He's heading down to the planet. We we get a cameo from the green casual tunic that he wears in his suitcase. Yeah, like he's gonna take that of everything down to the planet with him. <laughs> well as he's about to beam down he has a moment a really important moment of doubt No, i can he gets furious he slams his fist on the console and and he's free he finds out he believes that violent strong emotions like anger are the antidote use your aggressive feeling now how to impact over 500 crew and colonists mr spock is much stronger than the ordinary human being but it's a risk i'll have to take he convinces spock to come on board to help him finish packing then he tries to infuriate him he lobs a couple insults but spock's taking it in stride even even tries to warn kirk off then then he really lays into him and you've got the gall to make love to that girl you belong in the circus spock Right next to the dog faced boy. Spock takes a swing and they're off. He busts through Kirk's weapon and starts wiping the floor of the transporter room with Kirk's stunt double. I mean seriously, they didn't even they didn't even try to hide it. But but hey, it totally works. Boom! Spock's back. But but he has feelings about it. They're gone. I don't belong anymore. Oh that's big. That is <laughs> that's really big. But he recovers. And he and Kirk start trying to figure out how to affect the rest of the people. They come up with a frequency, almost like a, like a dog whistle, that's going to agitate the nerves of the people on the planet. Dog whistle! Dog whistle! Where are you, dog? Sorry, DeSalle. What do you think you're doing? If you hadn't gotten in my way. It works like a charm. You'd like to see just how fast I can put you in a hospital? And after a little while, the spores, they've left everyone. Without the spores, the Berthold Rays are going to be lethal to everybody, and they've got less than a week to get off the planet. Sandoval and the colonists agree to be evacuated, and they all get right to work. <coughs> Mr. Spock. For many, he is the face of Star Trek. I mean, for many, he he is Star Trek. Growing up and watching this amazing franchise with my mom in the days before TNG or anything else, Spock was King up to this point in the original series we knew he was half human half Vulcan but we didn't really know like what that meant the show had really focused on his Vulcan qualities but this was the first time his human side really got to shine through and it was the first time we started to see the toll his genetic heritage took on him come come right now don't walk. run. Has this ever happened to you while you were watching Star Trek? Aaron, honey, pause, pause, pause. Why did Nog just say their first set of ears? I mean, it's weird that he didn't call them lobes. Okay, but first set? Did Ferengi lobes fall off and they grow new ones? Or are they supposed to grow in layers? I don't know, I've never heard anything about it. Ha ha ha. Wait, why do you think their ears would fall off? Is there some kind of animal that really does that? Listen to me, biologist, and frequent episode pauser, Kelly Voss. And me, lifelong Star Trek fan and engineer, Aaron Strom. As we share the conversations we were already having at our house anyway. The Spinal Frontier comes out on your favorite podcatcher every second and fourth Monday. You can follow us at Spinal Frontier on Twitter and Spinal Frontier Pod on Instagram for updates. Okay, honey, you can press play. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. This is a fantastic episode of Star Trek, super good. In fact, there are some publications that list it as a top 10 episode. For me, I could see it as top 10 of TOS maybe, but, but all of Trek, mm, probably not, but still, still it's so good. One of the things I appreciate about earlier TV, sci-fi in particular, is that they could have had wild and unexplainable things happen and, and just brush off the need for an explanation. Like, if this was an episode that happened in 90s Star Trek, the point would have been to figure out what, what the spores were Uh, why and how they were doing what they were doing cross-linked with a redundant melakorts Ramastat, 14 kiloquad interface modules and then mitigating the threat either through some kind of trek science or diplomacy when you know of course they they realize that they're sentient if this was in modern trek coming out now as i'm recording this discovery discovery especially there would be an entire season dedicated to them and the inadvertent threat they pose to the entire galaxy. But in this episode, as part of the earliest TOS episodes, (laughs) none of that matters. Its basic properties and elements are not important. But they don't just entirely brush it off. Like, Like, there's a real dialogue and even logs wondering what they are. But they eventually double down on not caring about that part of it at all. Nor can I get Dr. McCoy To explain the physical, psychological aspects of the infection. Like, yeah, yeah, there's a weird thing going on. Yes, we totally know it's weird. Also, who cares? Not the important part of the show. Like Sandoval says to Kirk at one point, you are stressing over unimportant matters. Even though I'm totally doing it right now, I am not going to bring up McCoy's borderline offensive attempt at a southern accent. I mean, that was just terrible. But that said, I do enjoy a good mint julep. And, and there is such a thing as a Georgia style one. They got it pretty close on the show too. I think they had it in the right glass. See a regular mint julep is served in a julep cup. Sometimes maybe a Collins glass. The Georgia style is always served in a Collins glass. It also has some peach schnapps or sometimes peach brandy in there along with the bourbon. So, Hey, <laughs> I think maybe we all learned something about this today, but this episode, this episode is about Spock, all about Spock. And we really get to see Leonard Nimoy flex his acting muscles to tell the story. They have some fun with it. You never told me if you had another name, Mr. Spock. You couldn't pronounce it. But the reality is, this is a really heartbreaking story. Spock has spent his entire life learning to manage, control, and and suppress, not only his emotions, as all Vulcans do, but, but also his humanity. In the timeline of Star Trek airing, we don't know a lot about Spock. Like, like, this is the first time we even hear his parents mentioned. But now, today, we know quite a bit, and we're learning more as Strange New Worlds continues. At the time I'm recording this, the first season has just ended, and I think the second season has finished filming. We have every reason to believe the second season is going to be pretty focused on Spock. But it's cool, watching this episode now that we know so much about him because, because it all still checks out. His struggles, his drive to, to love, and his desire to be Vulcan. I have to imagine that this episode was a big part of one of the ones Ethan Peck spent some time on while preparing for his role in Strange New Worlds. I can imagine, I mean, literally, imagine him delivering this line coming up. But, but also the way that Nimoy delivers it you see a lot of in how Peck portrays Spock overall. I am what I am, Leila. Now this episode was good and it worked, but what put it over the top into best of status is Nimoy's acting. There are three Spocks in this one. There's the first Spock, you know, the one that we know, cold, logical, sticking to the parameters of the mission. Nimoy literally wrote the book on what this looks like. Well, well him and DC Fontana who wrote this episode and, Honestly, is responsible for a lot of the Vulcan culture that we've come to. The second Spock is after he gets spored. He's wisecracking. He's happy and he's in love. Finally, he's Spock again, but a Spock that knows what could have been. The way that Nimoy lets regret seep into his lines, the way his voice breaks just, just slightly brilliant. It's beautiful with all of this outside of the lesson on mint juleps and Kirk's apparent love affair with that terrible green shirt. I mean, seriously, they they put the rank braids on the V-neck collar. I mean, come on. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. But outside of those things, this was a touching, meaningful, and absolutely heartbreaking episode. We haven't heard much from you about Omicron Seti 3, Mr. Spocker for the first time in my life, I was happy. Command codes verified. What is the nature of humanity? What environments do people thrive in? And what do those things have to do with leadership? Well, everything. The Enterprise crew are faced with paradise, a perfect utopia, but Kirk rebels against it. Why? Well, We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about how Kirk's answer to this builds environments and cultures that develop highly functional teams and super capable people. Is our drive to be more than we are innate? Eh, Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but as a leader, it's up to us to support people in trying to achieve that. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. A few episodes ago when we watched DS9, The House of Quark, I talked about managers that try to get in and solve problems for people or or just tell people what to do. Whether they know what should be happening or not. There are quite a few reasons this happens, but systemically, it's because organizations tend to be built with a ceiling for skilled people. You get to a level where the only options for promotion are leadership and management positions. So we end up with great widget makers becoming the, quote, leader, unquote of the widget makers. This literally sets everyone up for failure. It inherently ignores the fact that both leadership and management are, are skill sets to be fostered and developed. I bring this up because first people need to hear it. And fundamentally, if organizations changed this one thing, every company's performance would improve every single one. But also because we see what it looks like when you have someone with actual management skills leading a team in this episode. You see, issues start to present themselves, right? There's no animals. People are alive when they should be long dead. There's these unexplainable agricultural things going on. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are talking through all these things away from everyone else, essentially, you know, working in their on site office. In a moment of true brilliance, Kirk says a thing that I want you to hear. No, I want you to not only hear this, but I want you to write it down and maybe, (laughs) maybe write it down, blow it up, put it on a massive poster and slap it on every wall you look at during the day. Kirk says, gentlemen, we're debating in a vacuum. Let's go get some answers. Let me say that again. We are debating in a vacuum. Let's go get some answers. Am I wrong here? Or is this at least half of the meetings that managers have? Talk your way around questions, gather data, maybe, maybe have some analysis done, and then someone presents a slide deck to a group of people that are layers removed from the actual problem, and then they sit in a room, and they think they're solving it. And the best way to start is to hit start, and up comes the toolbar. You look up to powerpoint and we are in i'll tell you i have probably spent a real percentage of my entire life in this very meeting and i imagine you probably have too and here here's what i've learned from all those hours (laughs) we never solved a single thing in fact in fact i'm almost a hundred percent certain we just created more problems but i'll tell you what it honestly It can sure feel satisfying to spend all that time asking questions of someone that looked at reports. Maybe they were put together by someone that might've talked to the people actually doing the work, right? But most likely they just pulled some reports from the broken system. You just keep pretending it's good enough. Oh, that's a little intense. Sorry about that. But again, am I wrong? All the way back in the fourth episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy DS9 Emissary, we talked about the Gemba. Gemba is a Japanese word used in Lean and often Six Sigma to signify the place where the work happens. Don't go through the circus of wasted activity I described earlier, the slide decks, the the reports, and the meetings. Just go to the place. Go to the Gemba. Go to the Gemba. Go talk to the people doing the stuff. And that is precisely what Kirk and crew do here. They talk with Sandoval. They talk with Layla and they start actually getting closer to real answers. So I'm going to have Kirk say his thing one more time because it is truly that important for you to hear, understand, and most importantly, do. They're debating in a vacuum. Let's go get some answers. Iron sharpens iron. The reward is not great without the struggle. Great men are forged in fire. Good things come to those who wait. As with the butterfly, adversity is necessary to build character in people. There are so many of these sayings and platitudes out there that you almost have to believe (laughs) there just might be something to them. A lot of years ago, I... (laughs) I think, I'm pretty sure I've told some stories from this job, but I managed movie theaters. Oh, that was a super fun job. I mean, you know, most of the time. One of my last roles, yeah, yeah, no, this was my last role there. Um, Yeah, totally. But my role was to manage a small four-screen theater for the end of its days. The company was going to close it, demolish it, and build a much bigger modern theater in its place. My job was to be sure the location didn't lose too much money in its final few months. A challenge that I loved back then and I would still enjoy to this day. There's a, there's a real winning feeling when you can outperform your profit and loss projections, yeah? Yeah? Do you hear me on this? Yeah? Well, one of the main ways that I kept our costs down was not having a lot of people work there. Minimum staffing all the time. This meant I had a small team, but they were getting a lot of hours and we worked really well together. Most of the time it was the perfect job. It was slow. Stuff was easy. Like we were literally budgeted to lose money. So the pressure was only on me. And that pressure was to only lose as much as expected or or less. In fact, Fun side story, we actually made money there, ran in the black because of a deal that we were able to make with a very niche family-friendly film distributor, but that's a story for another time. Everyone on my team, for all of them, this was kind of the dream. I love my job. I mean, we got to watch free movies and had a pretty fun day to day. But what this meant was that when we did get busy or something went wrong, we were not ready for it. And when that day came, it got pretty ugly. The community we were in sponsored an annual event with the theaters in the area called the Cannes Film Festival. (laughs) Sounds fancy, right? Welcome to the Cannes Film Festival. Well, for moviegoers, it very much was. You see, if they brought in three cans of food for the local food bank, they got admission for free and they got a free small popcorn. Super cool program. We really had just three priorities on that day, right? Right maximize our revenue by upselling as much as we could popcorn and fill bags at superhuman speed and keep the concession wait times down. And third, keep the theater and the auditoriums clean. And we were not prepared for any of these things at this scale to put it in perspective. In that one day, we had more than 10 times the weekly number of people that regularly come through our doors. Yeah. Yeah. This was a rough, rough day. Every single one of us worked open to close and the stream of humanity never stopped. So many people wanting their free movie and their free popcorn and nothing else. Oh yeah. Some of them were also eager to help, you know, the food bank and serve the people in our community too. So that was cool. Now during the day we had four sets of shows like each movie ran four times we scheduled them out to give us as much time between sets as possible, but, but the breaks were few and far between. All of this came to a head for us during our busiest set, the seven o'clock set. We were all pretty, pretty exhausted from the day, but this amount of people coming through the doors right now was absolutely unimaginable for us. Inconceivable! I was at the popper, popping corn and filling bags. One of the younger people on the team, uh, we'll, we'll call him Nathan. Nathan was working the register. I looked over at him at one point, and I saw that look in his eyes. Now, if you've managed a team for a period of time, or you've coached a sports team, you know this look. In fact, in fact I'm going to fire a shot over at the wave of academics and coaches out in the world today that have a ton of really great quotes, oh yeah, might even have some books out there that they've written, but... I tell you what, no amount of leaders eating last will prepare you for this moment. That look of sheer panic, of absolute, well, absolute fear. Got the thousand yard stare. That split second right before fight, flight, or freeze kicks in. When you see that look, you need to act and you need to act immediately. Now, Nathan had that look. And I got right to work. I pulled him aside. And the first thing I told him was that he was going to be okay. And that we were going to get through this and get through it together. Then I told him, I said, Nathan, pressure like this does one of two things. It either crushes you or turns you into a diamond. And Nathan, I work with diamonds. And then we got back to it. Yes, we got through it. Yes, it was a wide awake nightmare. And yes, (laughs) I worked with a team of diamonds. Now I know it wasn't my kind of corny pep talk that got him through that. Honestly, it was a little bit because of the few seconds I pulled him away and assured him we were going to get through it, but it was very much because he was and is amazing. And he was absolutely capable of meeting the challenge. Now I share this story Because we had stagnated. We had gotten comfortable with the easy day-to-day that we had going on. And the result was almost catastrophic. At least for Nathan. Kirk outright says this in the episode. No wants, no needs. We weren't meant for that. None of us. Man stagnates if he has no ambition, no desire to be more than he is. He was railing against the assumed paradise the spores provided. But what he did is what is important. He changed the environment so the people weren't stagnant anymore. He used a really annoying sound to change the environment. I do not recommend that, no. What I do recommend is creating an environment that regularly pushes people just outside their comfort zone. Put simply, right, we tend to either be comfortable or uncomfortable. But from there, it can get a little more complex. So we have our comfort zone, which is awesome, right? Feels really good. And it's important for us to spend time in this zone. It's good for our well-being, but we don't wanna stay there for too long. So next, the next layer is our opportunity zone or our learning zone. This is where we're uncomfortable, but we're still able to learn. Beyond that is the red alert or the panic zone. Here, we're not learning. we're just freaking out. When I saw that look in Nathan's eyes, that was him transitioning from his opportunity zone into the red alert zone. For me at the theater, instead of just enjoying the cakewalk of a job we all had, I I could have run scenarios, drills almost, that could have better prepared us. You in your workplace can find ways to shake things up as well. Now, this doesn't have to be dramatic. You don't have to go creating fire drill type situations. One of the ways that I do this now is in visioning sessions with the teams where we talk through strategic plans and visions over the next six, 12, 24 months. Like, what if... Hmm, what will your workplace look like if, oh, I don't know, hypothetically, a virus spreads across the world and changes every single part of how you deliver services and how and where you do your daily work, right? You know... Just before COVID triggered a public health emergency, when when we knew it was a thing, but like it hadn't spread out of any major areas in the United States yet, I participated in a series of tabletop exercises in our long-term care community. I'll never I will never forget the first one. The facilitator told us that facility X has its first presumptive case. So now what happens? And then we walked through a series of events. We challenged each other's assumptions and tried to imagine what the environment in these facilities would look like. It got heated in there. People were getting passionate and yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of yelling. If there was, a I hope the voters out there are watching. Gone, I hope and the voters are help. out there watching this. But not in a mean or disrespectful way, like that. No, people were outside of their comfort zones and were getting passionate and honestly close enough to their red alert zones. They were they were getting panicked. Now, whether or not the right calls were ultimately made is still being debated, and we're probably never going to know the full truth of that. But the reality is, we were more prepared because we took the time to run through these exercises. You know, in hindsight, <laughs> it's kind of ironic, right? To plan how to combat a respiratory virus. We put most of the state's experts and head regulators into a small room and then had them basically yell at each other for a few hours. Hmm. Maybe that wasn't necessarily the best approach, but hey, we were, we're still figuring stuff out, right? <laughs> well, I think... Now that I kind of walked through this a little bit, I think it's important to take just a second and define stagnant, or uh, what did I call it? Uh, Define cakewalk day-to-day. Because the picture I painted at the theater is not the only way something like this can look. Have you ever watched the show Scrubs? It was pretty popular back in the aughts, right? Well, I uh, I forget the episode, but I was watching it here recently, and it did this really, really cool thing. Dr. J.D. Dorian was working in the chaos that is a hospital. In the scene, everything around him was moving at like two times, three times speed. But he was moving normally. And the narration was about how even when things were wild and busy, it was still just another day at work. In that moment, J.D. was noticing the stagnation of his job. So it's not about not having anything to do do. It's about the normal daily routine no longer being a struggle. As he often does, Kirk doubles down on this concept at the end of the episode. He, Spock and McCoy are capping the adventures they just had, as they often do at the end of TOS episodes, and Kirk says, "Maybe we weren't meant for paradise. Maybe we were meant to fight our way through." Struggle. This isn't an idea or a concept that's unique to Star Trek. No, like The Matrix brought this up a couple of times, actually. As a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. And then... Did you know hope and despair are nearly identical in code? There are also a number of notable philosophers that have spoken at length on the subject of human struggling. Right, there's Nietzsche, Kierkegaard, William Irvine, Marx, and more. In fact, Nietzsche said that to anyone he cares about, He wishes suffering, desolation, sickness, ill treatment, and indignities because those things show that we can endure and we can be better. These philosophers basically say that our purpose in life is to face hardship and struggle and to come through with more experience, knowledge, and more wisdom. So challenge the people you work with. Push them into that opportunity zone. But then you got to be kind of an artist. The art is creating an environment that lets people exist in their comfort and opportunity zones, but keeps them out of that red alert zone. Because I'll tell you what, when you're a red alert, there is very little good that can happen. We got a new five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This one is from Aaron Olila. Aaron says... I really enjoyed the episodes I listened to and I'm not even a star Trek fan. That said it brought me back to my days of watching this show as a kid with my parents and and I learned a few valuable lessons. Thanks Aaron. You can head on over to Apple podcasts. If you haven't already and rate and review the show and Hey, I'll read it right here on the podcast. Not all the podcast apps notify me or make it easy to see when a review comes through. So to be sure I see it and I can share it, take a screenshot of that, send it over to me. You can send it to me on Twitter at SFLA podcast, or, you know, most of the other social media at Jeff T Akin. That's Jeff T as in this side of paradise, A-K-I-N. Now, computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. The second episode of the first season of Lower Decks, Envoys. This is a fun episode that I actually watch quite a bit. Not only does it have some of the most incredible examples of organizational leadership that is truly person-centered, but it also, <laughs> it's got this hilarious bit about speed walking that plays very, very well within the Aiken family. I'm excited to share my thoughts on this one with you. And until then, ex Astra Scientia! Hey, Brett, have you ever seen Babylon 5 before? Babylon 5? I mean that show from the 90s? Yep. No. You want to watch it for the first time? Let's do it. Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages in the series and deciding if we should have watched it sooner. You can find us on Good Pods, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. to count.